Thank you for tuning in to the Liberty Church Online Podcast. This is Pastor Andrew, and whether you're listening in the car or at the gym, or maybe just sitting down with a cup of coffee and an open Bible in front of you, we hope that through this message, God will meet you right where you are and help you grow in your personal relationship with Him. So let's jump right into this week's study of God's Word together. Well, since we have two services, you won't get the big surprise that the first service got, but you'll probably get a better presentation because I might not be so emotional. But uh, for those that don't know, Pastor Andrew's been with us for 15 years, and um, for most churches, a pastor might stay two years. If they stay five, that's a, considered a long tenure. We've been blessed to have him for 15 years, and with our you know, body of you know, people that come and go so much with this the community we live in. It takes a lot of time and effort and, and special talent to put that much, you know, love and uh, consideration into everyone's lives. It's, they, you're just constantly rotating the door. And for those few that get to stay and call this home or come back several times, it's just a blessing to get to know that many people and know that, our mission here is to, you know, make disciples and send them out. And Andrew's the leader of that. And what we have, and we didn't even know he was going to do this sermon series, you know, on the Good Shepherd, but this is a small statue of the Good Shepherd where he's leaning over a, a rocky cliff, uh, saving the one sheep. So on behalf of the church, past and present, Andrew, thank you. It's not one or the other, it's not true. 
Good morning, everybody, and uh, thank you to uh, our deacons, staff, faith family. Uh, 15 years, I can't believe it. It just seems like uh, it was yesterday, but uh, 15 years have passed, and God has been so faithful to us here at Liberty, and I I honestly can say with all my heart, one of the greatest blessings of my life has been to 
serve as your pastor here at Liberty. And for those of you who've been here for the duration, thank you for being patient with me. I've grown up some. Um, those of you who are, you know, who've been here just for a few years and maybe we don't know each other that well, we're so glad that you're part of our vision and mission here at Liberty. And again, it's just really one of the greatest honors of my life. And Liberty's been so good to me and our family. My kids grew up here. It's just a great place um, where God is at work. And it's my... Uh, thrill of my life to be able to serve as your pastor, so uh, thank you for 15, 15 great years. I'm just kind of curious. I'm, I always hesitate to ask because she's in and out of both services. Is, is my wife, Kamala, are you in the house? Is she? Wave at me if she is. Hey, there she is. Okay, my partner in ministry. There, take a look at her. Okay, let's give her a hand. Yeah, all right. So, <laughs> so yeah, she, she's been such a great partner here uh, with me here at Liberty, so so much uh, gratitude to her. And you know, it's funny, because those of you who've been here, she, she looks just the same as she did when we walked in 15 years ago. What happened to me? <laughs> you know, it's like, wow. Uh, but anyway, so it's, it's uh, really appreciate that thought. And that, that uh, I, may, I don't know if you saw that sculpture, I, if you can see it from where you are, it's just a beautiful, beautiful picture of what we were talking about last Sunday uh, in Psalm 23 of how God, the good shepherd, rescues us and protects us. And, and that's, you know, as a pastor, I, I want to be an extension of that in your life any way that I can. So, um, so anyway, it's just, that's just awesome. 15 years. We're really, really thankful to be here. And you're wondering, though, Pastor, that sounds great, but why in the world do you have a rope in your hand? I mean, what's going on? Um, so uh, we're in, hey, we're in our last series today um, from our summer in the Psalms. We've been, man, for eight weeks now of summer. We've been, in, we've been taking one psalm. And today I want to direct your attention to Psalm 16, if you're following along in a Bible, Psalm 16, which is one of my favorite psalms. I, as I was reading it again this week, I have to believe that of all the 150 psalms in the Bible, I have uh, prayed this one, read this one, quoted this one as much or more than any of the others, actually, Psalm 16. Um, so we want to wrap up the series with that. But before we read it, let me, let me uh, begin the message this way. So I want you to use your imagination with me, if you would. And I want you to think of this rope as your life, okay, your, your existence. And so what I'm going to do is let me just kind of give it a toss out there. And I want you, if you would, to um, just imagine, you know, that this rope kind of goes on to infinity, okay? Just go, go, goes on and on eternally. And I want you to think about this being your life, your, your existence, because, you know, the Bible says that people are going to live forever. It's just a matter of where they live forever, okay? In heaven or in hell, people are going to live forever. And so I want you to think about your life from that eternal perspective of going on and on forever. And I this part of the rope, okay, you can see this little blue part of the rope, of this part of your, this represents your earthly life. So um, how many years do you have? I mean, none of us really know, right? I mean, we've got today. We, we, that's all we really, we, we have today. We don't know about tomorrow. But this is your earthly life. And let's say that God gives you 80 or even 90 years in your earthly life. I mean, still, even 90 years is really brief, really short compared to the rest of this, right? Which just goes on and on forever. But here's the problem. A lot of people don't give a, 
don't give much thought to this part. They're so consumed and wrapped up in this part. But the Bible teaches us that the decisions you make during this part determine where and how you spend this part. So there's a lot at stake, right? There's a lot at stake. And yet so many times people can get distracted with the short part of their lives, the short part of their existence, and they only make decisions based on what takes place in the short part. So they think, okay, well, well if I make, a decision, I make this decision here, it's going to impact my life here. So, okay, I, I, that's, a, that's a big decision for me. Or, or hey, how about this? I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work hard and make lots of money in this part of my life. So when I get to this part, I'll have this much time to have a good time. And enjoy. That's the American dream, right? I'm going to work real hard, stockpile some money, and then I get, to, I get to about right here near the end, and I got a few good years where I can do whatever I want. Um, and yet so many people live that way, their existence is governed that way, and, and they, don't, they don't give hardly any thought to, to the long part of their lives. And what I love about Psalm 16 is this, that, that as we read Psalm 16, we're going to go through it pretty much verse by verse. What we learn in Psalm 16 is that, that God wants to provide you with peace during this part of your life during the short part. And he wants to provide you with hope and confidence in the long part. And as we walk through this psalm, that's what you're going to see, that there's a path, there's a way where, I mean, who, who wants more peace in this life? I mean, some of you came to church this morning and said, yeah, that's what, that's what I need. I mean, we, that's what we're all striving for. In this life, we want peace. We want peace. And people go about it different ways, but we all want to find some peace in this tumultuous, chaotic, unpredictable life. God says, I can provide that for you, but not only that, I want to provide you hope for the rest of your life, for your eternal life. And so I want you to keep that in mind as we walk through the words of this Psalm of David, Psalm 16. If you want to follow along in the Bible, uh, that's where we're going to be. And... Um, most scholars believe, and again, David wrote this psalm before he was king in Israel, but most scholars believe that uh, before, from the time David was promised to be king to the time he actually became king was about five to eight years. So God came to the prophet Samuel and said, hey, David's got to be the next king. But from that moment, there's about five to eight years before he actually became the king of Israel. And it was a very difficult five to eight years for David, for the most part. Because the current king, King Saul, he didn't want to give up the throne. And, and he, he wanted to hang on to his power. And so for those five to eight years, what we would say is Saul put out a hit on David. That's not in the Bible. Okay, that, that phrase is not in the Bible. Put out a hit on David. But he's trying to kill David. For that five to eight year period, David is on the run for his life. Okay, so it's a dangerous time, a dangerous season in his life. And it's during that five to eight year season in which he wrote a number of the Psalms, including this one we're looking at today, Psalm 16. And so with that background in mind, it makes sense why he starts it the way he does in verse 1, if you're following along. His prayer begins this way, keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. We understand David's on the run for his life from one of the most powerful people in the world, King Saul, and he's turning to the Lord and says, keep me safe. 
I'm scared. I'm frightened. I'm concerned. In you, I take refuge. And that word, again, if you have a Bible, you're marking it up on your electronic device. That word refuge is used in reference to the Lord 44 times in the book of Psalms. 44 times. And that is undoubtedly why Psalms is one of the most popular books in the Bible. Remember, eight weeks ago, beginning of summer, we were talking about that. What's the most read book in the Bible? Surveys continuously show it's Psalms. People love the Psalms. People turn to the Psalms because when we're going through trouble or hardship or difficulty or something that's making us anxious, we, we want to find some place to run to. We need a refuge. And not everybody runs to the Lord when they're in trouble. Some people look for refuge or protection or comfort in other things. Some people try to find a refuge in substances, whether it be alcohol or drugs or food. Or Others turn to entertainment or pleasure you know, trying to find a refuge, some, some safety in the midst of the turmoil and chaos. But David says, no, I'm going to turn to the Lord for my refuge. And 44 times you find that in the Bible. I went to the Lord for my refuge. And I, I think it's probably just a good place to pause and ask you, where do you turn? Where do you go for a refuge? Where do you find your strength and security in times of trouble. I mean, in those seasons of your life where you've got no place else to turn, where do you turn? Um, supportive family, loyal friends, those are great blessings from the Lord. But there are those moments in your life where you don't feel like you can turn to anybody and, and you don't think anybody understands. So in those moments where you feel like, you know, I've got no place else to go, where do you go? Where do you run? David says, I run to the Lord to be my refuge. I find my strength and my security in Him. When I'm fearful, when I'm concerned, when I'm anxious, the Lord is the one in whom I take refuge. And you might just uh, jot down, um, if you're taking notes, Psalm 46.1, which is a great psalm every Christian ought to have committed to memory. Uh, it just says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. Oh boy, I pulled that verse out a lot over the years, haven't you? God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. And so 44 separate occasions in the Psalms, we're reminded of that. But here's what I want you to see about Psalm 16, what makes it unique. So at the beginning of the Psalm, David is troubled. You know, I'm fearful, I'm afraid, I'm on the run, I'm scared. Lord, be my refuge, keep me safe. At the beginning of the Psalm, he is troubled, but by the end of the Psalm... He's triumphant because by the time you get to verse 11, things have changed. I mean, his circumstances haven't changed, but his perspective has dramatically changed because look at the last verse of the psalm. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. So he starts out in verse 1 with concern, but he ends here in verse 11 with confidence. In verse 1, we find David making a plea for help. You know, keep me safe, a plea for help. By the time you get to the end of the psalm, verse 11, it's more of a declaration of his hope in the Lord. So the question is, what happened? What changed between verse 1, the concern, and verse 11, the confidence? And actually, he tells us at the beginning of verse 11. Did you see that? He actually tells us, doesn't he? He says, in the midst of my trouble, you've made known to me 
the path of life. And so as we read this psalm, what you see unfolding is the path, the path of life. You want to walk this path. If you, if you, if you want peace in this part of your life and hope for the rest of your life, your eternal life, this is the path on which you and I need to walk. And uh, when, we, when we walk that, when we follow David's example, the result's going to be the same thing. We go from concern to confidence. We go from being troubled to being triumphant. That's the pattern that we follow throughout this entire psalm. And you're going to see it for yourself. But what I want to do, I want to give you four words that aren't necessarily in the psalm, but four words to just help us chart this path through the verses of Psalm 16. Okay, so here they are. I'll start with A. The first one is acknowledgement. The second one is acceptance, alignment, and anticipation. So when you think of Psalm 16, let's just look at it through the grid of those four words, acknowledgement, acceptance, alignment, and anticipation, because that's the path. All right, that's the path. So the first one, acknowledgement. David acknowledged that God is his Lord. Look at verse 2. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. And let's not run past this because it's part of the path that God revealed to him. David says to God, not only are you the Lord, okay, the maker of heaven and earth, not only are you the Lord, the sovereign uh, creator of the universe, not only are you the Lord, I'm acknowledging, God, that you are my Lord. He makes it personal to himself. In other words, David is saying, everything about my life, all my talents, all my wealth, all my skills, all my hardships, all my troubles, all my weaknesses, all my successes, all my failures. I am submitting all those things to your lordship. I'm putting all those things at your feet, God. Because not only are you the Lord, I want you to be my Lord. I want you to, I want you to have lordship over every detail of my life. And here's why that's so important. You know, you and I cannot lay claim to the peace of God until, until we're willing to surrender to the lordship of God. You see what I'm saying? We'll never experience God's peace in our life as long as we're trying to control things. We've got to relinquish that control to his lordship to acknowledge that you are not just the Lord, you are my Lord and I surrender to you. You know, far too many times, people want God to rescue them, but they don't want God to rule them. You understand? They want God to get them out of trouble, okay? But they want to do their own thing. And David is telling us, that doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. This is, this is where the path to life starts. Acknowledging that God is your Lord, that you have surrendered to him, that you have yielded your life to him. You know, God wants to fill your life with what Philippians 4 calls the peace that passes all understanding. Uh, God says in Colossians 3, I want my peace to rule in your hearts. God wants that for you, and he wants that for me, but a prerequisite to experiencing that kind of peace is acknowledging that he is my Lord, surrendering my time, my life, everything about me to his lordship will never find the peace of God until we give him control of our lives. And this is something I've learned in my own life uh, over the years. Maybe, maybe it'll be helpful to you. 
But usually when my life lacks peace, when, uh, when fear and worry or anxiety start to overwhelm me, it's typically a lordship issue. By that I mean it's a control issue. And um, I, know you, I know you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Because as long as I'm in control of things, then I feel at peace. I mean, as long as, long as I can control things, then, I, you know, then there's, some, there's some peace in my life. The problem is that life doesn't always cooperate with me. And, 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 and I'm reminded daily of how many circumstances and people and things that I experience are outside of my control, and that's what makes me unsettled. Because I'm, I feel like I don't have control. I, 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 can't, I can't manufacture the outcome. I can't manipulate the thing. I can't make it work out the way I want it to work out. I feel like I'm, I don't have any control. And that's when I start to get unsettled and, and irritable and anxious and, and worried. And that's when I need, you know, the Holy Spirit to kind of tap me on the shoulder or whack me upside the head. Usually it's a tap. Sometimes it requires a little more than that. And say, Taylor, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Have you not acknowledged me as your Lord? And if you've acknowledged me as your Lord, doesn't that mean that you've relinquished control to me? So what are you so upset about? What are you so anxious about? What are you so worried about? You're trying to control things that you've already surrendered and yielded to me, and I've got to be reminded of that. I think most of us do because, you know, again, we, we get these indications all the time that things are... <laughs> We have the illusion of control. There's really, we really don't have much control over anything. But the Lord does. You see what David is saying? Lord, I know you're in control of everything. Okay, you're the, you're the creator of the universe. You're, you're in control of everything. I don't, but I don't want you just to be the Lord. I want you to be my Lord. I want you to take control over the circumstances of my life, and I willingly yield them to you. That takes a lot of pressure off you and I. And that's why a lot of people who know Jesus as their Savior, they still fret their way through life. <laughs> my grandmother used to have a saying. Maybe you've heard this. My grandmother used to talk about people, and she'd say, um, they're as nervous as a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs. You ever heard, did you ever hear that? <laughs> nervous as a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs. That's some... Scottsville, Kentucky wisdom for you right there. Um, a lot of Christians live that way. They're just ner they're, you know, fretting about, anxious. It's like God doesn't even exist. And they know God, they know the Lord is their Savior. But it's an indication they have not acknowledged Him and surrendered to Him as their Lord. Because when you do that, that means, okay, God, you take control. I'm not, I don't have to control things anymore. I am trusting you. And so David's in this situation in which his life is being threatened, and he's concerned, and he's worried, and he's anxious, and he says, okay, okay, I want the Lord to be my Lord. I acknowledge the lordship of God in my life. In fact, he says in verse 2, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Isn't that great? David is saying, the reason I can trust you as Lord is because every good thing in my life is from you to begin with. So, so I know you can be trusted. I don't have to control. I can trust you to control everything. Every good thing that I have is from your generous hand. And so we're talking about finding peace in the present and hope for the future. Okay, peace in the short part of life, hope for the long part of life. Here's the second key word, and that is acceptance. David accepts the lot 
that God has assigned to him. And as I mentioned in the background, David is writing this uh, psalm during a season in which circumstances are unfavorable to him, uh, unfortunate. He's on the run for his life from one of the most powerful people in the world, uh, King Saul. But here's what we see. You know, David accepts the circumstances. He doesn't deny them. He doesn't ignore them. He accepts. This is not a path I would have chosen to walk, but God has ordained this path for me to walk. And so he doesn't resist it. He doesn't fight it. He walks it. He accepts it. And his perspective in the psalm stretches beyond the present moment. He doesn't become a prisoner of the moment because he knows ultimately God has a good plan for his life. And even though it's difficult in the moment, he's not enslaved to that moment. He sees beyond that moment that God is good and he's got a good plan for my life. You know, when we're going through difficulties and challenges, those are two things we have to keep in mind. We just have to keep reminding ourselves of these things. God is in control, and God is good. God is in control, and God is good. And it doesn't, sometimes it doesn't seem like that way to us, right? But we've got to just keep reminding ourselves of that by faith, and that's what David did. He, he accepts the, 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 the road that God has for him. He accepts the lot that God has assigned to him, and you see that in verse Five, Psalm 16, verse 5, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. And some translations have, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. And that's probably better, I think, um, in this context. But either way, you make my lot secure. Verse 6, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. And you can, you can already start to see David's confidence growing, can't you? From verse 1, you know, protect me, I'm scared, I'm fearful. And you can just kind of see these, these steps down the path to life. He's accepting the situation in which God has placed him. And really what he's saying in verses 5 and 6, the idea here is this. Uh, Lord, you're in control and you have determined in your sovereignty my good days and my bad days. My mountaintops and my valleys. My successes and my failures. Lord, you're in control and you've determined those things. You have assigned my portion. And I understand that, and I can accept that. Now, would David rather not be running for his life from Saul? Absolutely. But David has the confidence, because he's, he's accepted God's control in his life, he has the confidence that even this is going to work towards a better end, a better future for David's life. And let's just break that down, because these are two great verses in Psalm 16 verses 5 and 6. You know, you'll read about the casting of lots in the Bible on numerous occasions, which is similar in our day to the rolling of the dice. Uh, similar. In ancient times, that's how they would sometimes make decisions on matters in which the answer was not clear. Now, the Bible doesn't say we should do that, okay? Should I take this job or that job? Marry this person or that person? Well, let's just roll the dice and see how they land. That's not, uh, the Bible never recommends that way of making decisions, but that's what people did back then. They, they, they chose to do that sometimes. But there's a proverb uh, in Proverbs 16, verse 33. It says, the lot is cast, but the outcome belongs to the Lord. And so in ancient times, when they would, uh, they would cast lots for a variety of things, for example, uh, to determine 
land boundaries if they didn't know whose property is this? They didn't, there's no way of knowing. You know, they didn't have all the records and stuff that we have today. But whose property is this? Well, they couldn't decide. They'd leave it up to, well, let's cast lots and see where it falls. That's the idea of the land. Or, or if there was some land that was unowned, who owns this land? Well, I, this person says they own it. Well, this person says they own it. Well, how do you decide? Well, you cast lots and wherever it falls, that's, that's the decision right there. So there's that proverb that says the lot is cast, but its outcome is from the Lord. So when David says here, you've made my lot secure, he's saying, Lord, you've determined the outcome. You've determined the outcome of my life, and it's good. What's he say? The boundary lines, there's that illustration of the land. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. You see what David is saying is, I can accept the hard road right now because I know it's not always going to be this way. You've determined the course of my life. You've determined my life, and I am confident that the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. And it's such an encouraging word for the follower of God that even when the path gets bumpy and difficult and challenging, God's got some things in store for you that are good and pleasant. And knowing that allows us to accept the situation we're currently in, even though, as in David's case, it was unfavorable. So he says, you said at the last part of the verse, surely... I have a delightful inheritance, and an inheritance is something you have to wait for, right? It comes at the appropriate time. It's not immediate, but David is so confident that, yeah, there's better things coming my way. I know that because God is in control, and God is good. And there's no question that in a crowd this size, some of you are in a situation, and like David Right now, it's difficult, and it's unpleasant, and you're concerned with how it's going to turn out. There's some painful circumstances, perhaps, that you're walking through right now. And I just want to remind you of what David says here. The Lord is in control of your life, too. He's in control. Have you relinquished control to him? Have you turned it over to him? Have you pushed it over to his side of the table and said, Lord, I don't want to carry this anymore. You take this. God is in control. He is the Lord. He wants to be your Lord. Not only is God in control, God is good. He's good. And sometimes it's really hard for us to see it if we become a prisoner of the moment and we're experiencing some hardship or some pain. A lot of times we don't see God's control or his goodness. And that's when by faith we just have to trust that he is. Because he is. Verse 6, the boundary lines have fallen for you in pleasant places. Believer in Jesus, follower of Christ, the boundary lines for you have fallen in pleasant places. It's been determined. Surely you have a delightful inheritance. It's been determined. And even though the road is difficult right now, perhaps, you can accept that because you know the outcome is going to be positive and good. That's the confidence that David had. And so he's outlining the path of life, okay? He's outlining this path to peace in this life and hope in the life to come. So he acknowledges that God is the Lord. He accepts the lot that God has assigned to him. Uh, The third word is alignment. David aligns his life with God's wisdom. That's verse 7. 
I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. You know, he's got God's truth and God's word in his life to the degree that even when he's laying on his bed at night, you know, the Holy Spirit brings it to mind. Verse 8, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. And again, you just kind of can trace his confidence. You know, he was troubled. Now he's triumphant. He's, he's moving in the right direction in his life and in his mind. His perspective is changing. And, and those verses just teach us that David is aligning his life with the wisdom and the counsel of the Lord. He doesn't take his cues on how to live or what to believe from the world around him. He doesn't look to the culture. He doesn't look what's popular. He, 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 the foundation of his life is God's truth, God's word, and he seeks to align his life with God's truth. You know, in our culture, one of the problems is that people, they want to, well, many people, you know, they want to do what's right in their own eyes. They just want to do whatever seems right to them. And then there are other people who kind of like God's truth, but they want to kind of move it over into their direction. And it's not stable. It's not the standard. But what David is saying here is, no, no, no. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. I don't try to adjust his standard to my life. I try to adjust my life to his standard. I seek to align my life with what he says, his counsel, his wisdom, because he knows best. And until we choose to do that, we're going to struggle finding peace in the midst of a chaotic life. We're not going to have a lot of hope for the future because God has called us to align our lives with his wisdom and his truth. And David says, if you do that, you know, you're not going to be shaken. And I think we see examples of that all the time in our world. I mean, has anybody else noticed that the further our society and culture gets away from God's wisdom, the more chaotic and confused it becomes. It just becomes more and more unsettled. And, and you can really trace it just the more our culture pushes God to the fringe, the more our culture gets away from his wisdom, his truth, the more chaotic and confused and unsettled it becomes. And I, I'm not a gloom and doomer, and we don't come to church to, we come to church to celebrate the, the good news of Jesus, not the bad news of the world, but it's hard to watch. It's really hard to watch just how this, this trajectory that society is on is pushing God out and choosing, as in the book of Judges says, people choosing to do what is right in their own eyes. And um, this, well, this whole, you know, woke um, sexual identity agenda stuff that is just being forced down the throats of kids and families is just confusing them. They're, they're just, they're, you just, it's just, again, it's so hard to watch. It's the exact opposite of what David is saying here. They say, you know, you, you base your life, if you, if you don't want to be unsettled, if you want to be strong, if you don't want to, what's he say, be shaken, then you've got to have a foundation, and the foundation is God's truth, God's word. And the further we get away from that, the more shaken everything is, the more unsettled everything is. And many of you can trace this in your own life. You'll say, well, remember back when, you know, 
they were saying, you know, let's get God out of schools, right? Let's don't, can't pray in school anymore. Uh, take down the Ten Commandments. Those are offensive to people. Let's get rid of that, okay? Okay, let's do our own thing. And, and they kind of distanced themselves from God. And then it came to the subject of morality. And oh, what, what God says in the Bible about morality is so restrictive. Nobody really believes that anymore. Let's make up our own rules on that and push God to the fringe and just keeps getting further and further. And when it comes to the family, uh, no, God's way too traditional when it comes to family. No, it doesn't need to look like that. It can look like whatever we want it to look like. And again, pushing God to the fringe. And now, in our lifetime, it's to the point where people say, let's ignore God's wisdom as to whether this is a boy or a girl. This is, it, it is ludicrous. How did we get there? Really? And we just see the results, the confusion and the chaos in the lives of people and in our own world and culture. And what's true of a society is also true of your life and my life. If you don't want to be shaken, if you don't want to languish in confusion and chaos, you need a foundation. And the foundation, this path of life, this, the foundation on this path of life is the is the truth of God, the Word of God. It's not about adjusting it to fit us. It's adjusting our lives to align ourselves with Him. That's, what, that's the path of blessing. And some of you grew up in church. You grew up in Sunday school, and um, you remember that story in Matthew 7 when Jesus talked about the, the wise man and the foolish man. And do you remember how he concludes that story? He says, you know, the wise man, he built his house upon a rock. And Jesus said, here's what that means. The, the, the wise person who built their house upon the rock is like the one who hears my words and puts them into practice. And when the storms blow, he will not be shaken. And, and see what David is going through a chaotic season of his life. And you know, he's, he's running for his life. He's concerned. He's fearful. But he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to keep, what's he say? Verse eight, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. He counsels me with his wisdom with him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. It's the, it's the principle of alignment. It provides us peace in this life and hope for the life to come. And so you see, you see David just, uh, you know, building in confidence. His heart is becoming more encouraged. He says, I've acknowledged the, the Lord as my Lord. I'm accepting that God has a determined, you know, blessing for me. I'm aligning my life with his counsel. There's one more. The word is anticipation. David anticipates what God has in store for him. And that's verses 9 and 10. It says, therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. Well, what a change, right? I mean, verse 1 is like, uh, protect me, man. I'm, I'm afraid. And now verse 9, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. And David is saying that even in his current situation, and his situation when he wrote this was dangerous and life-threatening, he says, I can rest secure. I love that. My body will also rest secure because God will not abandon me to the grave or to the realm of the dead. And what's he saying there? Well, he, David is not being delusional. He's not saying, you know, I'm never going to die. I mean, he knows everybody is going to die eventually. But what David is saying is, even though I die, even though this earthly life, you know, that, that, that short part, even though that ends, God's not going to 
leave me in death. He's talking about everlasting life with God in heaven. We know that because that's what he says in verse 11. You'll fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. So it's really a statement of eternal life. Yeah, this life is going to end, but there's a lot more to come after this life. And so David says, I can rest confidently. I can rest assured because I, the anticipation I have is that this life, this earthly life is not the end for me. My God will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. But something else that is just awesome about verse 10, and some of you Bible students know this, it's what we call in verse 10 a messianic prophecy. And that is that through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, when David wrote this, he is pointing a hundred years into the future to Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Christ and the hope of the gospel. And the way we know that is because if you go to the New Testament and you open the book of Acts chapter 2, it's right after the resurrection, okay? Shortly after the resurrection of Christ, in Acts chapter 2, Peter is preaching this marvelous sermon and thousands of people are giving their life to Jesus. Thousands of people are putting their faith in the risen Christ and Peter actually quotes this verse written a thousand years earlier, Psalm 16 verse 10, where he says, you will not let your faithful ones see decay. And it's a reference to the risen Christ. And in essence, what Peter is saying is to all of you, who believe in the resurrection of Jesus, the good news is God's going to do the same for you. He's not going to abandon you to the grave. He is not going to let your body see decay. You're going, to, you're going to flourish and live forever in eternity with God. And that is the blessed hope and the anticipation of the Christian life. And that enabled David to weather some pretty significant storms in this earthly life because of his anticipation that God had a promise for him in the life to come. And the good news is, believer in Jesus, the same promise is applied to you. There is a hope. There is a blessed hope that God will not abandon you to the grave. You know, you're, this earthly life is not going to be the end for you. You're going to live on eternally. So as we wrap up this morning, let's go back to our illustration so, so difficult for us to not get so caught up in this part of life. So many voices, so many things crying out to us. We have to continually to remind ourselves and trust God to help us consider this part of life. Back in the 1950s, there was a pastor who became the chaplain, actually, of the U.S. Senate, um, his name was Peter Marshall. Some of you may have heard Peter Marshall. And Peter Marshall used to say this. And again, he was talking to people in the 50s. And, and Peter Marshall said, the problem with this generation is that everybody's in a hurry. <laughs> okay, that was the 50s. All right. I can imagine what he would say about us today. He said, the problem with this generation is that everybody's in a hurry and people take the short view of life. We need to be people, he said to his church, we need to be people who take the long view. Take the long view. The, the, the view that goes on to infinity. Don't get so consumed and wrapped up in the short view. There's a lot more that comes later. 
And you and I, as God's people, have to continually ask the Holy Spirit to help us keep that perspective, to not just piddle away our lives on something that's going to 50, 60, 70, 80, maybe 90, who knows? None of us really know how long it is, but it's brief compared to eternity. So let's just ask God to help, help us be a people who take the long view, because that changes everything. That changes everything. Understanding that will give you more peace in the short part of life, more hope for the long part of life. Let me ask you to stand, if you would, please. Let's close with a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help the words of Psalm 16 be driven deep down into our hearts and souls and minds, that it would change the way we live. Help us here at Liberty, those of us who know you as a Savior, help us to know you as our Lord, and help us to be people who take the long view, to not get so caught up in the daily things that distract us, to not get so upset about when things don't go our way in this life. Help us to be faithful in this life, but to rely upon you for peace and to turn our eyes to the hope that we have for the life to come. The promise that we have in your risen son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray that. Amen. Amen. Amen.